Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey everyone, the fall hunt season is closing fast. That means the whitetail red is about to heat up. That in mind, you're not going to want to miss this episode. I'm joined by Michael Lee from the Backwoods Life TV show. Michael's harvested more whitetails than most of us have seen, so listen up. I want to give a quick shout out to Kootenai Elk Hunting, a group of enthusiastic BC hunters based out of the Kootenai. They share a lot of cool hunt stories and pictures, so go check them out. They can be found on Facebook. Simply search their name and be sure to click that like button too. They also have some cool gear on there as well, and with Christmas coming up, they make a great stocking stuffer for the hunter or hunters in your household. Also, Hunters for BC. I don't have to say much about this great group of guys and gals. Their actions speak louder than words. What I do have to say is, if you're not a member yet, turn this off and sign up. Welcome everyone to uh, the Focus Hunting Podcast. Today I'm joined by Michael Lee. Michael Lee is the host of the Backwoods Life TV show. Thanks for joining me today, Michael. I appreciate it, Kevin. Thanks for having me on. Now, I'm sure everyone already knows who you are, but for the few people who might not, can you just quickly tell us about yourself? Yeah, uh, like I said, I'm Michael Lee with Backwoods Life. Uh, We've been on outdoor television for about 16, 17 years now, and uh, we're down here in the south. Georgia area, North Florida areas where we're based out of, and we travel all over the country just having a good time, trying to fill a tag here or there and show what it's all about. So how old were you when you started hunting, and kind of what got you into hunting? I, I grew up in a, in a hunting family. My dad, my grandfather's uncles, cousins, I mean, we, we've all hunted as, as long as I can remember. Uh, I think I started deer hunting when I was about nine years old with my dad and just uh, went as much as I could or as much as I could, you know, when I was younger. And killed my first deer when I was 11 and just kind of went from there. Like to fish a lot, just spend whatever I could do in the outdoors, bird hunt, deer hunt, whatever, whatever we could do to get out there and have a good time. Yeah, no doubt. That's pretty cool. You got any siblings, brothers, sisters? I've got a younger sister. We're five years apart. Oh yeah. How about her? Does she hunt as well? Nah, not really. Um, her, her husband, my brother-in-law, he liked to hunt with some and, and 
she'll she'll go, but she doesn't really want to shoot a deer or anything. She likes to shoot hogs and stuff. So oh yeah, uh, she didn't get quite the. Uh, the the DNA makeup that I did, I guess. <laughs> yeah, my uh, my wife's the same. She likes to get out, but she's not into the hunting. But she just likes to get out there, so that's cool. So sixteen, seventeen years, two hundred thirty four episodes. You've had a tremendous success. You host one of the longest running hunting shows, The Backwoods Life. How did you get into television, and what inspired The Backwoods Life? <laughs> I tell you the truth, I don't know if it was good luck or bad luck, but we're still kicking and screaming today. But my, my show co-host and business partner Kevin Knight and I met. I think it was in about 2004 in the spring. We were, I was down in Florida at a hunting store with a buddy of mine. We were uh, working with some, a turkey call company back then. We were just down there hanging out, having a good time. And Kevin and I crossed paths. And Kevin's background was in television production. He worked at some of the local television stations down in Florida and did production and knew, knew the nuts and bolts of the TV side. And um, I had owned video cameras. And growing up, my dad had video cameras. And we used to film some of our hunts and just – messing around really didn't know what we were doing per se and then when i met kevin we kind of put it all together and started out with a local tv show here in south georgia north florida area and just grew in grew from there next thing you know we're on nationally on different networks and just evolved to what we are today which seems like it was yesterday but it's been been a long ride it's been bumpy at times we went several years there we wonder if we're going to keep the lights on but we kept getting blessed with not necessarily what we may have wanted, what we needed to get down the road, and here we are still going today. Incredible journey for you guys. So over the time you guys have been in television, what what changes have you seen in the hunting industry? You know, give me the kind of good and the bad. Man, it's been it's been pretty wild. Um, when we first started, literally we could walk around the, the ATA show, the Archery Trade Association show, and you could go and talk to every company in the building, literally walk into their, to their booth and shake hands. Hey, how you doing? I'm Michael. Nice to meet you. Have a conversation. And I think our first ATA show, we walked through the entire show over the three days, talked to everybody we could get in front of to try to, you know, tell everybody who we are, what we're doing. Nowadays, that's frowned upon, like you're bothering people because you're trying to sell them advertising while they're trying to sell products. And I get all that. I work on both sides of that fence. But that it was such a personable industry back then. Now, it still is. There's a lot of really good people in this industry, and everybody you know, kind of knows each other on some level. But everything has shifted, man. It's, it's gotten definitely more uh, corporate America We've got conglomerates popping up, buying up all the mom and pop companies, if you will, um, making you know ten companies under this one company and and fifteen over here and five over there, and it's really monopolizing things. Uh, and even on the the video side, like what we've done for so many years, we evolved. You know, the social media trend kicked in about ten years ago, and so we adapted to that. We were one of the first hard workers, if you will, on, on Facebook to, to grow an audience there because I, I, my background is in computer science, actually. That's what I got my degree in, computer information systems. So technology has always been a thing that I've always grasped and used to reach an audience for us to grow backwards life and, you know, get people, you know, in, in the palm of your hand literally to, to consume what we're doing. So the social media trends of today have, have definitely changed our audience spectrum, your on-demand video platforms versus the old days of where you could just watch outdoor channel sportsman channel you know whatever and, and go from there but the the mindset of advertising's changed the mindset of video production's changed we've raised the bar in a lot of positive areas to 
you know, just keep stepping things up with the quality of video, with the quality of technology to use to video. And it's, it's kind of been an adapt or die situation. And we've been fortunate enough to be able to adapt and, and keep grasping, you know, a different subset of that audience to, to get those eyeballs and, you know, keep everybody happy in our world. But it's definitely been a, a challenging journey, that's for sure. I bet it has. And I mean, even, you know, in the last, like you said, last 10 years, but the last five years for sure, everybody and their dog, you know, they got a camera or a cell phone now and they're on YouTube. They're showing, you know, big kills and, and lots of them. So it's pretty amazing that you guys have uh, stayed successful this long. And over the past 16 years, you found tremendous success. Is there anything that you haven't done yet or you you might want to do? Um, man, we've been, like I said, we've been doing this for a minute. So it's one of those things where we've been blessed to do a lot stuff that I thought I'd never be able to do in, in, in my life. But, I mean, we've shot elk and mule deer and alligators and hogs and exotics and whitetails and turkeys and, you know, things that, you know, as a, a young boy growing up in nowhere Georgia here, I, I never thought I'd be able to kill a 170-inch whitetail, period. I mean, and, and things like that that have happened in my life, I've been so blessed. And I, I don't take it for granted, man. I try to really enjoy things as they come. Each one's special. doesn't matter if, a deer is 120 inch or 190 inches. It's all about the adventure and having fun. And I've kind of had to check myself and, and stay in that lane, you know, in the last several years. I guess I'm just getting old. I guess that's the best way to put it. But, um, man, I don't, I mean, I don't know if I've got a favorite. I'm a seasonal hunter. So when it's, when it's springtime, I mean, all I care about is shooting a turkey in the face. That's, that's all I want to do for, for a couple, three months there. And then, you know, in the summertime, I, I kick back and enjoy, you know, going to the beach with my wife and going offshore fishing with my buddies and just kind of winding down, having a good time, still working in the woods, keep my deer habitat going and stuff. And then, you know, August gets here, September, I start getting that, that really big itch to shoot a whitetail or go hunt antelope, mule deer, elk, whatever. And uh, that just it shifts throughout the year. Like right now, I mean, it's hardcore whitetail time, and I'm going to be in that mode you know, probably through January and, and stuff like that. So I'm a seasonal guy. I don't have a favorite. I get the same rush pulling the trigger on a turkey as I do a deer. Some people I know don't feel that way. Or I, I am one of those guys, man, I'm not a big duck guy, um, I guess, because I've never done it a lot down here where we're at. And usually I've hunted in uh, January a lot, even in Alabama and stuff for deer. So I've kind of missed out on the duck thing. So I apologize to any duck hunters listening. I wish I could jump in the blind and, and see what it's like one time, though. Yeah, I, I myself, I've, I've never uh, done any duck hunting. Uh, I just, it's, it's too cold up in Canada for me at that time of the year that, that it's open. So, <laughs> now you guys have some pretty crazy seasons down there. Can you kind of just explain how your seasons work? I know you guys have, you guys got what an archery season, then you guys kind of have different rifle seasons. Can you kind of just give us a quick breakdown on how that works? Yeah, I'll give everybody a quick rundown for Georgia. Georgia usually kicks off for archery season around the second Saturday in September. Uh, and then, and it's hot as crap, and I usually don't go, to be honest with you, unless I just have a deer pattern to the T and the wind's right, and I'm not going to die in 90 degrees. So that's, that's usually early bow season, but it starts around that first or second Saturday in September. It goes until about mid-October, and then we have a week of muzzleloader season and then uh, rifle season. And you can hunt with any rifle, any centerfire rifle down here. And that will go from around the third Saturday in October all the way until the uh, around January the 10th, 15th ballpark. 
and you can shoot two bucks and ten bows here in Georgia. One buck must have four on one side that are one inch or longer, and the other buck can be whatever. So pretty oh. liberal deer season down here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is definitely. Yeah, we have uh, we've got a pretty liberal deer season up here as well. Our season starts. We have uh, September first. It starts for archery, and that goes till the ninth. It's open for centerfire rifles till November the thirtieth. And then it goes back to another late archery season, and that runs till December the 20th. But uh, up here, we're allowed one doe and one one buck, so it's no. a long season as well. I know a lot of guys would like to get rid of that uh, that doe season. I know there's there's some complaints about it, but uh, as it stands right now, you're you're allowed to shoot one of each. So yeah, down here, I mean, it's it's we've got a lot of deer down here. I mean, I was hunting on some of our land this past weekend. Uh, and I mean, I probably saw like Friday evening. I saw twenty three, twenty six deer, um, one okay buck, but um, I got one buck tag left, so I'm trying to hold out for a good one. And I had my wife with me. I was trying to get her on one, and he just wasn't wasn't quite right. But it's um, the problem we do run into sometimes is we have so many does that it does hurt your your rut on some some level. Can we talk about that a little bit? Deer management, buck to doe ratio. How the buck to doe ratio affects the rut and uh, and deer management. I know up here, like I said, up here we have we've got a lot of guys impartial to the fact we can shoot white tail does. I know a lot of guys would like to see see us get rid of that. And then there is also guys that say, well, you know, if we don't manage the does, the white tail numbers might increase too much, and then that's going to have an effect on the mule deer. And then up here, the mule deer are struggling. So and and you know, up here we can hunt so many species of animals. And right over the counter, you, know, you could get a moose tag, an elk tag, a caribou tag, sheep tag, goat tag, bear tag, deer tags. You, you know, you name it. And I know down there you guys hunt primarily white-tailed deer, and you guys spend a lot of time and dedicate a lot of your efforts into managing deer populations. So not to piss anybody off, but, you know, I don't think we we up here in BC put as much time and uh, dedicate as much effort into land management and buck-to-doe ratios as you guys down there. So could you maybe just touch on that quickly? Um, from my experience anyway, you know, hunting all my life, I will say in the areas that we have um, way more does than we do bucks. So, for example, if you've got, you know, five does for every one buck right now, while they're, you know, the does are coming in, the bucks are chasing, um, he's got a lot of opportunity. He, he's going around, he finds one doe, he's going to run her, find her, court her, defend her until he breeds her, and then he can just hop over and find another one. And that's when you see, you know, I guess the competition is pretty low. So you may see bucks of all ages breeding does down here. Um, and then when you get the equal, more equal buck to doe ratio, so you've got a two to one where you've got two does to one buck, uh, that's when you may see, you know, two or three bucks chasing one doe. Um, and then that may happen down here, you know, later in the year when you've got the, the secondary rut kicking in or something like that. But for the most part, the more does you have, the less competition the bucks are going to have with each other to breed that doe, and you're just not going to see a strong rut. I mean, I, I did see a deer yesterday at noon, and it was almost 80 degrees down here. There was a buck running a doe, um, and he had a smaller buck with him and then uh, a smaller buck trailing behind after after those three. Um, but it's just one of those things. That's not a often occurrence and when you have a high competition for does you're going to see a lot more bugs and the best time to hunt here is usually later in the rut say it's hypothetically if the rut lasts three weeks here so you see your first deer chase in november the first and usually it's like that third week that's when a lot of the does are already bred 
the bucks are really looking for those remaining does and that's when it's fun to hunt that's when you can kill some of the bigger deer that's when they're i'll I'll say more visible is the best way to put it as long as the weather is is good for that gotcha yeah one thing uh you know we've all seen on your show is you know you guys have had success using numerous methods uh you know from blinds to tree stands what's your favorite way to hunt deer and what have you had most success with or are they kind of the same um (laughs) i'm an opportunistic hunter so i guess just whatever spot's hot whatever i need to do but um (laughs) i will say we do we do a lot of blind hunting here uh i didn't grow up that way we hunted out of ladder stands and lock-ons a lot but as kind of we've evolved, I will say, on our land management to where we've got a lot more food plots and things like that that we can hunt over. A blind's more conducive to that, um, for us anyway. And we, we, we work with redneck blinds, so we do have a lot of their products scattered out through our hunting areas. We bow hunt out of those. We gun hunt out of those. Um, but it really depends on the situation. If I'm going to rifle hunt, a blind's awesome. I, I usually put our, we put our blinds in places we can cover, you know, good distances and we've got, I mean, we've got rifles that we've shot, you know, targets and such out to 600 yards. So, I mean, we can cover some real estate with with what we have, you know, dial our scopes in and stuff like that. But, um, you know, for the most part in Georgia uh, in general, the average hunter doesn't probably shoot over 100 yards or so um, just hunting out of different kind of ground blinds or pop-up blinds, ladder stands. That's probably the go-to in this area because when you – with lock-ons, I mean, more people are – or a bow hunt mindset with that and we do use those as well but um, like my dad hunts with me a lot and he's gotten older and knee replacements and things like that so I, you know i don't want him climbing up in a lock on anymore i mean i'd rather him hunt out of a ladder stand or, or a nice blind and he can sit there and be comfortable and, and shoot him a deer so i've kind of adapted that way and i guess that's another sign of my age <laughs> yeah yeah no uh Blinds are definitely easier. I agree with you there. I've I've hunted a little bit in a in a tree stand, but I'm never really successful in it. I, I don't know if I had it set up in the wrong spot, but uh, um, it just never seemed to work. I actually just was out on a four day whitetail archery hunt. I had a blind set up in an area where I had a trail camera that was showing uh, some decent bucks on it, but uh, you know they're mostly at night. I sat in the blind Thursday. Uh, I seen a few does, no bucks. Friday I actually had a buck walk into about 40 yards i got a shot on him uh, my arrow unfortunately it just went right below him um hmm. so i uh i waited a bit walked up made sure there was no blood i just wanted to confirm that I, you know I, I didn't hit him or anything so then i went back to the my blind and i sat the rest of the day in the blind nothing came out saturday i did the same thing went back to the same blind um i didn't see one deer now, what do you think? I mean, obviously, I know I blew it by missing that shot, but do you think I spooked the deer out of that area for good, or how would you have played it? That's a tough call. I mean, I, I guess I need to know a little bit more about your area. I mean, if it's a low-pressure area, and you know, that shot may have spooked that deer, but um, after you shot, I mean, what was his reaction? Did he run off and stop, or did he just run? No, he like uh, he ran like the wind. The, the, the area that that i'm hunting and yeah it doesn't uh, it's pretty remote area there's uh it's about a, an hour hike in from the closest place you can get a vehicle so uh it, gotcha. it it doesn't see a lot of a lot of pressure there but uh yeah no that buck he ran like he was hit but i didn't see any blood i just I, yeah i just it was clean miss um just just too low i think i mean it was pretty cold mm-hmm. and i think my hands you know they're shaking a bit so <laughs> but, uh, well it's like my dad always told me they're not hard to hit they're just easy to miss yeah, yeah, I like that. 
So that was Saturday, but on Sunday, you know, I, I did end up finding success, but instead of going into my blind, I uh, I walked or I circled around my, my blind about half a kilometer higher than, than where my blind was. Uh, now, one thing on this hunt I realized is that, you know, I am not a good whitetail deer hunter. You know, I've had success hunting whitetail deer in the past. You know, when it comes to the things, you know, like calling and rattling, you know, how long to rattle for, when to rattle, you know, stuff like that. Now, I've seen you guys have success, you know, with calling and rattling. With calling, can you give me some pointers on that? You know, just just when to use what type of call and, and how often to use it? Well, and this is just, like I said, based off my experience, and I've hunted Georgia, you know, the Midwest, the North, and, and things like that. And what I've seen in my area, calling doesn't or hasn't worked for me great in, in, in my years down here. And I think your calling has a lot to do with the time of year, obviously, the, the stage that the bucks are in as well as your uh, buck to doe ratio. So if you know if you hear, you know, if you're rattling for example, but rattling is not a like fighting is not a normal thing because the bucks aren't competing as hard then maybe your bucks don't respond to that. Um but I would say the most I've had best responses I've had of anything is a snort wheeze. And I only do that when I see a buck it works better for me if you're actually using a decoy, like a small buck decoy. But I've I've snort weed deer in in the past that just they're walking by and they say I'm bow hunting and they're out of range. Or even if I'm rifle hunting and they're in some thick stuff and I can't get a good shot, can't see them. I'll snort weed a lot of times. That that's worked better for me than anything overall. It seems like bucks respond to it, especially when they're out cruising, uh, when they're by themselves. Uh, I had I have had deer come to you know grunt calls and, and rattling horns before, as well as a bleat call. But um, I would say my number one is a snort wheeze. My number two is a grunt call. And the way the grunt call, I can use it in the same way. Is um, I will use it before I actually do a snort wheeze. I'll see how it responds to a grunt call. You know, if one's you know skirting the edge of a field or you know in, on a ridge or something or, or out of range, and I, I grunt and I'll see what he does. If he stops and looks. I maybe grunt again, just short grunts, and um, you know, see how he responds to that. If, if he, I know he's going to walk off anyway, I'll get more aggressive. I may have a longer grunt. That's when I switch to a snort wheeze. Then I see his body response. Um, I've had, just, I mean, snort wheeze has really been a strong one for me to get deer. I've even had deer come in twice to a snort wheeze. I've had, uh, I killed a deer actually. I'm looking at my wall right now. Um, several years ago, I had a decoy out in a cut bean field. This buck walked out with a doe at about. I don't know, 100, 150 yards, and he wouldn't leave that doe. I grunted at him, and he would look over there, but he would just stay with that doe. I snort wheezed at him. He broke off with that doe, and he came to about 50 yards, and I don't know if he just didn't like the decoy the first time or what, but then he turned around and went back to the doe. He gets right back to the doe again. I snort wheeze again. He comes back in, and I shoot him at 35 yards with my bow, and, you know, that's the rest of history. So I'm kidding. Um, oh. Yeah, it's crazy. That, that, that hunt's actually on our, our YouTube channel. It's, it's pretty cool to watch. But um, all that being said, that would be kind of my preference. Um, rattling is something I'll do if I see deer, a buck, like say I'm in the Midwest or something where you can see a long ways, and I got a deer that he's, he might be 200 yards away. Rattling is good because you can at least get his attention with the noise because you obviously can make that louder than anything else. So I would do that, then I'll gauge them out. Rattling's good to use, you know, when competition's high, when when it's just 
the bucks are really out looking for does real hard. Um, and, and even in, earlier in the season, what's the territory thing? So when, but when I rattle, I mean, it's, I'll do that when I'm, there's kind of nothing happened. I can see some ground, but remember anytime you're using calling of any method, always make sure you keep an eye on your downwind sign because those bucks will almost every time circle around downwind of, of that noise to try to smell that other deer or, or come into that fire or whatever. Yeah, that's a good point. That's one thing I always, I try to keep an eye on my wind more than anything, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. in terms of rattling, I just, I don't know how, like, how long should it, when you're rattling, how long should a typical rattle last? Like 30 seconds, 45 seconds, or is that too long? Or, you know, then how often again do you do it? Do it every half an hour or wait an hour or? Um, myself, a lot of times, uh, with any kind of calling, really, I mean, I'll do it. And then I'll wait about 15 minutes if nothing's happening and I'll do it again. Just, and I do that because, well, maybe, you know, that first time, if, if a deer that I don't see somewhere has, has heard me and I may have got his attention, and he's still in the area, and he hears it again, he's like, okay, well, I, I, kind of like a turkey. You, you call to him, and he may not gobble or anything, but then he's still in the area, and he hears it again, okay, I'm going to go check it out this time. You, you piqued my curiosity. And deer, by nature, are pretty curious animals and stuff, but um, most of the time, that's what I'll do. I'll wait 15 minutes. I'll try it again. Whenever I rattle, it depends. If it's kind of earlier in the season, I may just tickle horns together, kind of like just, you know, you got a couple of young bucks out there just pushing each other around, not really trying to kill each other. But when it's the right time, you know, when it when it's, I'd say, right on the edge of peak rut, more in the little bit of pre-rut, I mean, man, I'll hammer those things together, um, beat the ground, rake trees. I'll use my grunt call in the middle of it and just blare on it like a roar. Um because when they're fighting, man, it's it's ruthless. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen one fight or, or you've been watching those videos and stuff. You, they, I mean, they are literally trying to kill each other, and they're making all kind of noise. No, uh, we've uh, I think we've all seen them on video. I, I've never seen them in real life actually going at it, but uh, in our neck of the woods, it's pretty thick bush, but uh, it's definitely neat mm-hmm. to see. I actually just seen on social media, I seen a buck and a bull going at it. And to me, it just it just blew me away the you know the the balls on that buck going after that fourteen hundred pound uh, bull. It's pretty amazing. Hey, when it's rut, man, it doesn't matter. <laughs> They're full of piss and vinegar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are. I actually had uh, a few years back when I was uh, I was mule deer hunting. I w- I was actually I wasn't mule deer hunting. I was looking for whitetail, and I was in a spot that had known had a lot of mule deer in there, and I. To this day, I'm not sure why I was hunting whitetail in an area. I knew there was a lot of mule deer during the rut, but <laughs> anyways, um, so yeah, I had already punched my mule deer tag, but as I was hiking up a ridge, this big buck comes out, and he was about 20 yards from me, and he looked at me, and I looked at him, and I, I was standing there, and he just kept walking right to me, and he kind of let out a little grunt, and I had my rifle with me, and then I started making noise. I was like, hey, hey. You know, get out of here. Uh, I'm going to shoot you if you can come and get out of here. I didn't want to get stuck full of holes, but it was uh, it was something else. But uh, so so you mentioned turkey hunting there. You know, I've mm-hmm. I've done a fair bit. Of, well, and I should say a fair bit. I've I've hunted turkey for five years up here. Um, I've had success on two of the five years. What a tough critter to hunt turkey i mean back to you know what learning when to call and and how to call man they are something else those birds they yeah. i've never hunted anything as frustrating as as turkey i think there but you know one of the coolest coolest animals and like you come springtime i'm i'm uh i'm right into it i i can't wait for for turkey hunting you guys hunt out of a blind for most of your turkey hunt um it just depends um if i'm gonna set up in an area 
that I know that turkeys frequent, you know, and we do a lot of scouting with our trail cameras. Um, we, we run spy point cameras and, you know, have, we're on the app and we'll, we'll kind of get some time frames, patterns, say we may run and gun off the roost, so to speak. So, if, you know, we got a bird, you know, we, we know they roost in this area along this creek or this bottom or whatever. And, uh, we'll go set up. We'll try to call one in off the roost. And if that doesn't work and then say, okay, well, we've got a lot of birds in this area on this food plot or, you know, whatever strut zone road at, at noon, then we'll ease around, get set up and try to be there ahead of them. And, be patient and that that's killed more turkeys for me than anything is just being patient knowing your property and knowing where the turkeys end up going on a regular basis so the, right. the best turkey caller in the world is the guy that's sitting in front of where the turkey wants to go when he's calling i promise you <laughs> so, yeah yeah no that's uh that's one thing i think i struggled with for the first few years of turkey hunting was just pattern and having patience you know, for the first couple of years i was just running around like a jig during the rut but Eventually, I figured it out where instead of calling and going to the birds to listen for their calls and then make a move to where if I call, they would come to me. It was actually on the third year I had success. I had heard a gobble. I didn't do any calls right away. I walked up. I just did one slate call, and then right away they started gobbling. They started going nuts, and then I, I didn't call again for a little while. Uh, they kept gobbling, and then I could hear them fluttering around trying to figure out what's going on. And there was two of them, and they just I gave another little call, and... Sure enough, one came running out and bam, got him. And then the next year, same sort of thing, not too far from where I got that one. Opening day, about half an hour in, I uh, I got another one, so that was pretty cool. And then last year, I had a friend come out, so we worked on trying to get a him a turkey and uh, didn't work out. But uh, man, that turkey hunt is a lot of fun. Oh yeah, it's one of my favorite things to do in the spring. There's no doubt about that. It's just, uh, um, I don't know, it's, it's a learning process. You, you'll make more mistakes turkey hunting than you ever will anything else in your life, probably. And then... You'll learn so much from them. You won't ever have it all figured out, but you'll be a lot better down the road, I promise. I agree with you there. Backing up a bit to what you mentioned earlier there, food plots. I've always wondered about this. When do you guys start working on these food plots? Um, Usually what we'll do is we'll have good carryover for the most part in the spring from our fall plots. Um, If we go, you know, kind of start on the January timeline. So we'll, we'll have what's left over from fall, winter come in. And usually in the springtime, say February, March, um, depending on how much growth we have in them, because down here it'll, it gets warmer sooner, obviously. And then when the, when the warm weather starts kicking in, we get some rain, those plots really take off and they'll get pretty tall. So we'll go in and we may mow them down. Um, we may have a lot of clover in some areas, but anywhere that we've got like ryegrass or winter wheat or oats, we'll go in and, and mow that down where we can see better, you know, when we're turkey hunting. And what that does is that'll regenerate that growth as well until the temperatures get where they, you know, 80s, 90 degrees, and then that that um, that clover and such, that, that'll die off. So then some of the plots, we'll just mow the clover and we'll let it reseed itself, and then that'll come back for, you know, three or four years. But on the plots, we don't do that. We'll go in after turkey season. We prep the soil. Um, and right now, we're in kind of a no-till program on our plots. So what we'll do is we'll spray those plots and kill them, kill all the weeds, and then they're ready. We'll go in in, you know, April, late April, May, and we'll plant our summer plots. And we, we work with Antler King, and one of our, our favorite things to use is they make a mix called Red Zone. And so it's got buckwheat, um, soybeans, forage soybeans, uh, just a bunch of good summertime stuff that makes, a, you know, hearty food source, warm weather stuff that the deer can hammer. Uh, and usually they eat all these plots up by late summer. 
to where there's really hardly any plants left in there. And then we'll go in, we'll spray all that again, and then we'll no-till in our winter crops where we've got, you know, clovers, chicories, turnips, radishes, oats, uh, just brassicas, just different things like that. And we'll usually do that. And uh, we try to do as in September as early as we can uh, just to watch the weather. We need Obviously, we need rain that time of the year, but not to right where it's still really hot because we could have 90 degrees all the way in the late September here. Oh, yeah. So how many of these plots do you guys operate? Um, we, we have about, between our, our lease property and, and my family farm, uh, we probably plant a good 20, 30 acres of, of food plots between those yeah. two. I mean, it, it may be, we, you know, we've got a couple acres, that may be, I mean, a couple plots that may be four acres, and then we'll have a half acre here or an acre here, just depending on the, the setup, you know. Right. Can you use the same plot in the spring for turkeys and then use that same plot for deer in the fall? Or do you guys have a specific uh, plot that you use for turkey and then different ones for deer? No, for the most part, we hunt everything in all the same spots. Um, it's just a visibility thing for the most part. We, we plant our plots merely specifically for deer. Um, we may plant a couple of spots. Um, there's, we, we plant, it's called chufa down here. Uh, it's basically a, a nut, bra- nut grass um it's a weed, basically, but it, it grows uh, small little seeds under the ground that are probably the size of a small marble, and turkeys love them. And they grow real well down here, and especially in sandy soil. So we'll plant some of those in some strips here and there in our plots just for the turkeys, but for the most part, we just plant everything for deer, and the turkeys are byproducts of that because they like the same kind of food with the clovers and you know oats and things like that. With your land management area, how many of those deer are you able to make resident? Is that something you kind of you kind of try to accomplish? Yeah, I mean it changes. We we've got a good and we've built it over the years, and it takes a lot of time and a lot of a lot of work to build your habitat where you hold deer basically all year. And we do have resident deer, like you like like you're saying that they stay on our property all the time. We've got some bucks that we we've, we've known for years, and then. We've got resident does that literally spend their whole life living off that one food plot area, you know, as long as there's good food there. Because our, our properties are down here really thick. We've got a lot of dense cover. Uh, we've got tons of food sources from acorns to just natural browse. Uh, we've got agriculture. We've got food plots. So, I mean, a deer down here, if they starve to death, there's just something wrong with them because there's no way that they should ever run out of food. Right. Uh, our winters don't get really hard. You know, we don't have snow. So they, they've got year-round food. Um, so you'll establish your resident herd, and then during the rut this time of the year especially, you'll have deer that will move in you, know, you don't know about. Um, we will have some of our bucks that will live on us all summer and into early fall, and then they disappear. And if they're still alive, they'll show back up in December or January back on the food sources and, like, they come back home. So that's a, that's a really hard thing to, to deal with, too, because we have some really nice bucks that disappear and then they show back up late season. And maybe you get a shot at them then. Uh, maybe you get a shot early season, but it just sucks that you know you're growing that deer that he's going to go somewhere else, and he, and he may be on somebody else's wall. But it's a yeah. trade-off. You know, we may, get, we, we may get somebody else's deer on our property, you know. so Yeah, man, there's definitely a lot to it. I think it's a, it's a lifetime occupation. So what do you got left coming up for hunts this year? Yeah, I don't know. I may do some doe management. Just depends on what we're seeing on these properties and what we kind of decide what we may need to take out or not. Um, here in Georgia, I've got one more buck tag. I'm hoping I can knock that down here um, in the next week or so. If not, then maybe late season. But 
I'm traveling some more. I'm headed to Oklahoma next week to hunt my buddy Garrett with Name the Game Outfitters out in Oklahoma. And then i um, got a couple late season trips to Texas, which their rut kicks off, you know, December, January. So that'll, that's always a fun trip. Um, got my, one of my buddies, Errol Williams, up in, in Michigan. He's, he's begging us to come up there and try to get that muzzleloader tag up there in December. And so we're, we're trying to bounce around and do a few more hunts. Maybe we can squeeze some stuff in and, and you know, a couple more buck tags filled here or there. Wow. So still lots of hunt left for you. Is that all whitetail? Yep, everything we got left whitetail. Wow, so you must have a lot of whitetail on your wall. <laughs> well, I'm sitting in my office right now, slash man cave, and um, yeah, I've got about twenty or thirty heads in here. So yeah, I got a few. <laughs> yeah, what's your favorite type of mount? Um, it just just depends on the deer, honestly. What I've kind of got to the point where my wife won't let me uh, get a lot more shoulder mounts because they take up so much space. So yeah, I've got kind of a size limit going on for this for the shoulder mounts but um no they're, they're all cool in their own way they definitely all are you know i i said uh i wouldn't take up you no know, too much of your time so you know i want to thank you again for for coming out i know you're an extremely busy guy and i really do appreciate you you finding a few minutes uh in your busy schedule to, to come on and talk with us today you know i usually have a bunch of questions uh that i always ask everybody but uh i think we covered most of them already so just gonna <laughs> ask you a couple more if if you could hunt one species for the rest of your life, what would it be? Man, don't do that to me. <laughs> That's too hard to pick. Um, uh, God, I guess I'll probably go with whitetail. Whitetail, yeah. Um, what about your dream hunt? If you could do any hunt in North America, what would be your dream hunt? I mean, I've been blessed to do just about everything, but I've got one more on my bucket list. I would like to go out west. Um, I've got a lot of points for Wyoming. I would like to go out and just shoot one giant bull elk and be done. Well, if you're ever up to it, let me know, and uh, we'll see if we can line you something up here in British Columbia. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Okay, man. Well, uh, I want to thank you for your time and all your tips and knowledge. Uh, One last thing. Where can uh, all of us up in Canada find you and follow you? Oh, you can check us out at backwoodslife.com. That's our website. We've got a lot of content on there. We're on every social media platform out there, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. We have our own Roku channel if you guys have Roku up there. Um, Backwoods Life channel is on that. You can see a lot of our stuff on there. And also we're on Sportsman Channel up in Canada. So if you get that, tune in every week on Tuesday nights. You can watch us there. Yeah, you bet. I actually got you guys recording all the time on my PVR, so I'm up to date. Awesome. Appreciate it. Okay, man. Thanks again for your time, and uh, maybe uh, sometime in the future we can get you on again. Sounds great, Kevin. I appreciate your time, man, and uh, it's been a good time. Yeah, thank you very much. We'll talk to you later. All right. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tuning to Hunt Stand presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. You want to succeed, you want to fish, you want to be one of the greatest. Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.